Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. We go from uh, four men worshiping to one man preaching. There we go. That's my new name. It's good to have the chance to uh, be with you again, share God's Word. Um, Thanks, uh, Sibylla, for speaking too much. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, as, as she said, we're moving on series. So we've, uh, last week we just finished uh, the Sermon on the Mount series and uh, moving into four talks on, on the cost of discipleship. Uh, and for those of you who weren't here uh, last week, I'll just ask Mike to come up and repeat. Last, no, no, I won't. In the words of Inigo Montoya, I will sum up. Um, so uh, we were the, the, Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with all that teaching with a very uh, focused call to obey, to put into practice the things he's been teaching. And he used this wonderful picture of the two builders, the, the wise man building his house on the rock. Uh, Sunday morning he goes to church, he hears the word of the Lord, uh, and he puts those things into practice. He's building on the rock. And of course the the story of the other man, the foolish man, who's building his house on the sand because on Sunday morning he's shopping and, you know, he's, he's, he's not in church at all. Is, is that right? Where, where, was, where was the foolish man? Where was he on a Sunday morning? He's in church. Why was he in church? How do we know he was in church? Sorry to pick you up. That's it's a correct answer. <laughs> Absolutely right. The, these two men are both in church. The guy who's shopping at Joe's Beer House on Sunday morning, he's not even in the parable, okay? The two men, the wise man building on the rock and the foolish man building on the sand, they are both in church. Isn't that worrying? The foolish man, did you notice, Mike brought it out, he hears the word of the Lord. The wise man hears the word of the Lord. They are both hearing the word of the Lord. They're both in church on Sunday morning, Yeah? But if you want to build on the rock, you've got to obey. You've got to put into practice what you hear on the Sunday morning. If you go to church every Sunday and you hear the word of the Lord and you don't put it into practice, you're building on sand. And that's, that's, that's the point, isn't it? It's putting into practice what you hear. So it's, it's good that we can now turn to discipleship. So uh, we are the people. All of us are building on sand. We're all hearing the word of the Lord and we're all going to put it into practice, aren't we? Yes. No, no sand builders here, okay. <laughs> we're we're going to hear the word of the Lord, we're going to put it into practice. And, and that's called discipleship, the people who obey the Lord. What's the definition of a disciple? It's, uh, it's really someone who not just accepts Jesus as Savior, but it's someone who accepts Jesus as Savior and then obeys or lives to follow that Savior. You accept Jesus as your Savior, and you accept him as your Lord as well, Lord and Master, and it's his will for your life. That, that makes you a disciple. That actually makes you a Christian, but it's the same thing. <laughs> so, so hearing and obeying uh, really come together. If you're a parent, you know that. You know, you can, you can give commands to your kids, and, you know, what's the obedience percentage? Hmm? Any, yeah, 10%, 50% if you're lucky? <laughs> 
and you know, there's this English saying, to hear is to obey, you know, Dr. Frankenstein's monster, you know, yes, monster, to hear is to obey, you know. We, we know that phrase, okay? Um, and, and we know it, but we're not very good at practicing it, but that's the point. And the biblical languages actually help us here as well. Uh, the Greek word for hear is akuo, and the Greek word for obey is hippakuo. It's the same root, okay? So obedience and hearing are actually together in the Greek language. Hebrew is even better, okay? Uh, in Hebrew, there's one word for both. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. So the, the great uh, Deuteronomy promise, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Uh, the word for hear there is Shema. But Shema can also be translated obey. It's the same word. Yeah? Brilliant. Okay. So in the biblical languages, hearing and obeying are the same thing. It's, it's only us Christians who kind of divide the two things. But, that, but that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount and, and Jesus finishing it up with the wise and the foolish builders. Uh, you, you have to hear and obey and the two things uh, go together. Let's look at Matthew 11. We're going to uh, focus on the, the cost of discipleship. So nobody's pretending that discipleship is easy. And, and we're going to look at uh, John the Baptist's experience uh, to give us one aspect of, of the cost of discipleship. Um, I've called it Sticks and Stones, uh, the, the title for today. Sticks and Stones uh, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so we're looking at uh, one of the aspects of the cost of discipleship in, in what people say in, in, in words that are spoken against us, and, and, and the challenge for us as disciples also uh, to speak out when it's the right time. So we're thinking of words this morning. So let's have a look at uh, Matthew 11. We're going to read from uh, 1 uh, to uh, 19. Uh, I'll just make comments as we go. Uh, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. I'm reading the NIV, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way uh, before you. Just pause there. Uh, these words are from Malachi, uh, the, uh, the, the closing words of the Old Testament. Uh, there were 400 years of silence uh, after Malachi uh, was, was written. And, and here is the, the prophecy of, of, of uh, the, the last prophet, if you like, the last prophet who God will send uh, to prepare the way of the Messiah. Um, and later on in Malachi chapter 4, so those words are from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Next chapter, Malachi 4, verse 5, almost the last words of the Old Testament. Uh, God says, see, I will send you Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord 
that comes. So here's, here's an idea. The, this, this messenger who comes to prepare the way for Jesus uh, is in, in the, the character, in the power, uh, in, the, in the style of Elijah, that great Old Testament prophet. And, and Jesus goes on to tell us who that Elijah now is in verse 11. I tell you the truth, he says, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist to, till now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So uh, Jesus is pointing out the identity, we're talking about identity this morning, the identity of, of that Elijah is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, come in the, in the character and the spirit and power of Elijah uh, to prepare the way for the Messiah, uh, for Jesus' uh, ministry. And uh, that's, that's a, a fantastic picture of, of, of the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. Uh, Jews today, actually, during the Passover meal, uh, they set out all the places for Passover, and they always add one extra seat and place, place setting uh, in case Elijah pitches up and, and joins in the Passover meal that year. So each Jewish family does that uh, because the Jews, of course, are still expecting the Messiah, and, and they, know, they know the Malachi prophecy. They know that Elijah must come first. Uh, I think they're probably expecting the wrong Elijah, but that's how it goes. They're, they're still ex expecting this prophecy to be fulfilled. But Jesus is saying, this prophecy has been fulfilled. John the Baptist is the Elijah, and I am that Messiah. Let's just, sorry, let's go back to verse one. Uh, sorry, verse two. Uh, just a reminder, uh, John is hearing these uh, stories uh, about Jesus' ministry uh, when he's in prison. So that's the other cost of discipleship, <laughs> okay. Uh, in, in this situation, John's already in prison. We'll see why that's happening. And of course, he's beginning to, he is the spirit of Elijah. You know, he is this prophet preparing the way for the Lord. But he's currently in prison, and I think he's probably having a struggle. Uh, and he's, he's beginning to doubt himself, his identity, the identity of Jesus. And, and he needs to, be a re, needs to be reassured that everything is on track. Jesus really is the Messiah. John is the one who has come to prepare his way. And these words of Jesus just encourage him and, and keep him going in the midst of his struggle. Uh, then Jesus moves on to, to get into our topic this morning, uh, verse 16. Uh, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. So then Jesus moves on, thinking about John the Baptist, uh, he moves on to teach us uh, about the cost of discipleship. And uh, this first part from Matthew 11, excuse me, my voice is going, the first part I've called, <clears throat> as disciples, we need to be prepared to be spoken about, okay? People will speak about us, and not in a positive way. We need, as, as disciples of Christ, we need to be prepared for people to speak against us in a negative way. Excuse me. 
Now, hopefully, some people will speak nicely about us. That's always nice when it happens. But we, we need to be prepared for the opposite. Okay? Um, it's so that when it happens, we are not shocked and surprised, and we lose our faith, we walk away from following Jesus because it's too hard. Okay. This is a, this is a what is it, PSA, public service announcement this morning. If you're a disciple of Christ, be prepared for people to speak against you in a, in a negative, not nice way. Okay, got that? Good. That's the first cost of discipleship. And, and, and Jesus brings out uh, the ways that they will do this uh, using two examples. Uh, children in the marketplace calling out to us. Uh, and then secondly, looking at, at John and uh, Jesus, or what they say against John and against uh, Jesus. So look at the first way, verse 17. Uh, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. Uh, or, um, or verse 18, looking at John, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. So the first way that people will often speak negatively against you as a Christian is say, uh, you're a boring Christian, you know. You're not, you're, you, where, where's all your joy? You're not rejoicing in the things of the world, you know. <laughs> The, the world is playing a flute for us to dance to. They want us to find happiness in all the things that the world finds happiness in, yes? But, but the, these are the things that make life good. These are the things that will make you happy. And we say, no thanks. And they look at us as if we're bonkers because we're not going for those things, okay? The world is playing the flute, but Christians, we're not dancing to those tunes. We're not into those things that they say will make you happy. Uh, in John 15, 11, Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We, we found real joy. We, we know where real joy is. And it's not in the things of the world. Okay? The flute's playing and we're not dancing. But we don't mind. <laughs> okay? Because we, we know where true joy and true happiness is. John, in his ministry, was very sober. He went out to the desert he ate locusts, he wore camel hair, you know, uh, camel hair clothes. I mean, you know, he, he, he didn't look a happy chap at all. And people looked at him and his lifestyle and they said, he must, have, he must be demon-possessed. You know, he's crazy. And, and maybe people in the world, our families and friends, will say similar things about us because we are not rejoicing in the things that makes the world rejoice. Yeah? We've got other things that make us joyful. And be prepared for people to criticize you. Oh, you Christians, you're, you're, you're killjoys. Uh, you're boring. Uh, you don't, you don't, you're not doing the things that, that we do. Uh, it's obvious that these things make you happy, uh, and you're not, you're not doing these things. So be prepared for people to criticize you for that. But then the opposite happens as well. Back to verse 17. Uh, we sang a dirge. Uh, a, a dirge is like a funeral song. Uh, and you did not mourn. Uh, or uh, Jesus came eating and drinking, and they criticized him in the opposite way. Jesus was eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Okay? So the, the thing here is uh, we, are, we are not getting sad over the things that the world gets sad about. Okay? All that social media stuff, you know, this is happening, that's happening, doesn't bother us. Okay? Um, that the world is singing a funeral song about all these things that are awful, and we, we are saying, well, that, that's actually not that bad. 
That thing that makes you sad does not make us sad as Christians. And we, and we don't join in the things that make everybody else sad. You know, when so-and-so gets knocked out of Love Island or out of the Big Brother house, you know, the world, social media blows up and it's born and tears. <laughs> Could care less, you know. <clears throat> so as, as disciples, we, you get the idea. We are not rejoicing in the things that the world rejoices in and, and they think we're bonkers. And, and then we are not getting sad over the things that makes the world sad and the world thinks we're bonkers, okay? And we get shot, we get shot from both sides. But, you know, the world accuses us of being killjoys and, you know, and, and being too happy. At the same time, it doesn't make sense. But, but that's what's going to happen as Christians. Our joy is somewhere else and, and we're not mourning over the, over the things that the world mourns over. And people will criticize us and laugh at us and point the finger and do all that kind of stuff to us. And so, so be prepared for people to speak against you and criticize you. <clears throat> Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think words will hurt us, but we need to be prepared for that. <clears throat> Personal experience, yes. Um, verse 19, Jesus, Jesus criticized for being a party animal. Okay, so uh, joining in uh, eating and drinking with the wrong kind of people. I remember we were in Rundu once, well, or during our time in Rundu, and uh, we were criticized by other missionaries in Rundu, not Brian and Dana, actually, or by other, not them, uh, <laughs> honest. Uh, and this missionary came round to our house to criticize us for spending too much time with our non-Christian friends. <laughs> thought, I thought that's what missionaries came to do, to talk to, talk to non-Christians. Anyway, but, you know, and we had to, what's going on? You know, and the trouble was, of course, <clears throat> our non-Christian friends happened to be very good at brying, and we would be invited for a bry, and of course we'd go. It would be brilliant. And uh, <clears throat> so I, th I think they, that's what they objected to. They didn't get invited to those brys, actually. That was the problem. <laughs> I thought, what a strange thing to be accused of by a missionary. You missionaries are spending too much time with your non-Christian friends. Yeah, no, well. So, so be prepared for people to criticize you in both, for both, both problems, <laughs> both ways, for being too happy and too sad. And occasionally the people who are doing the speaking are actually fellow Christians. Yeah. So that can happen as well. There's a wonderful Christian book called uh, When Bad Christians Happen to Good People. That's, that's another, yeah, I recommend that highly. <laughs> So this is the first aspect of the cost of discipleship. Uh, people, be prepared for people to speak against you, to speak out against you. But the second thing we need to be prepared as, as Christians, as disciples, is to be prepared to speak out, okay? Be prepared for people to speak out against you, but also we need to be prepared from time to time to speak out. Let's have a look at Mark uh, chapter 6. And we're going to look. We're going to continue with John the Baptist, and and we're going to look at verses uh, fourteen to twenty-eight. So Mark six, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, fourteen <clears throat> to twenty-eight. This is why John is in prison in uh, Matthew eleven. This is the backstory. Uh, King Herod heard about this. Uh, he heard about Jesus doing his miraculous ministry, uh, and of course Herod is the head honcho in Judea at the time. Uh, his job is to keep everything under control, keep order, uh, and he's hearing all these uh, worrying stories about this uh, miracle man. 
uh, in his territory. Uh, Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah, picking up from the Malachi prophecy. Still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. Uh, but when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. He's, he's going with the resurrection arguments. Uh, why? Why does Herod say this? For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John because she was upgrading, you see, she, she was upgrading from Philip to uh, Herod. Uh, so Herodias uh, nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Uh, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So you know, John has been in captivity for a while, and you know when Herod got a bit bored one afternoon, he would just get John up from prison and you know, preach a sermon to me, John. And, he, you know, he didn't know what was going on, but he, he liked hearing what John was talking about. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask for me anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? At the head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. Uh, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John the disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Uh, that's the cost of discipleship. Um, but this is next week, uh, you know, having to die for your faith. So we're not going to go there just yet. Um, but we're focusing on, on John, John the Baptist's speaking out, okay? Be prepared for people to speak against you or against us. Uh, but be prepared to speak out when the time was right. Here was Herod uh, marrying or marrying the divorced wife of his brother, uh, and John, John was the prophet. He was Elijah. And if you read Elijah's story in the Old Testament in, in Kings, you'll know uh, Elijah was always speaking out against the kings, Ahab especially. Ahab called him, you troubler of Israel. And, and John is the new Elijah, and he, his job is the same thing, to, to speak out to those in power, in this case, Herod. Uh, he's speaking truth to power, if you like. Uh, and, and John knows that's what he's got to do as the prophet. His job is to speak out against injustice, against wrongdoing. And as disciples of Christ, we may have to speak out as well, yeah? We can't always stay silent when things are going on around us. It's easier to stay silent, but sometimes the cost of discipleship is being willing to speak out 
and to say something, uh, not to stay silent. Now, when do I speak out? <laughs> That's the first thing. When, when is the right time? The Bible actually tells us there's a time to stay silent and there's a time to speak. There's, 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 a, right, there's a right time for both. And, and knowing, knowing which is the right time, incredibly difficult, isn't it? Something's going on and you say, should I shut up or, or should I say something? It's, it's really hard to know when we should speak and when we should stay silent. And, and, and I think life and, and prayer and experience teaches that. Being sensitive to the Spirit and, 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 and life experience and, and following Christ and, and, and our relationship with God, that, that will help us get the wisdom we need to know when we should speak and when we should stay silent. And, and the trouble is, even when we know we should speak, we get the second problem, which is, what do I say? <laughs> okay, so the first problem is, do I speak, speak out or not? And the second problem is, now I've decided to speak, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? I think speaking out today <clears throat> is much more difficult than it was in the past. I mean, you know, I remember these the guys up in Kavango, in, in, the, in the villages, living in their mud huts, you know, and if they speak out, uh, the only person who, who gets upset is the guy who lives next door, you know? But if we put something on social media, the whole world gets offended, yes? And, and everything we put on social media gets stored in the cloud forever, you know? Um, that's, that's the trouble. We, we, could, we, could, we can put something out there and it will haunt us for the rest of our lives because of technology. And, yeah, uh, years ago, we needed to be really careful about what we said. Well, 2022, we need to be even more careful about what we say, don't we? On social media and, and everything else. It can go viral. Yeah, you know all about that. So, problem one, when do I speak out? When is the right time? Problem two is when I've decided to speak out. What do I say? How do I say it? We need even more wisdom for problem two than problem one, I think. <laughs> How do I say what I should say? Uh, very, very difficult these days, especially with this political correctness going around. <laughs> um, you know, all these minefields and traps are there uh, for the people who are going to speak out on an issue. Have you noticed social media? <clears throat> In all the discussions that are going on, we've lost the middle ground. Have you noticed that? Everything is moving to the extremes, and, and there's no middle ground where we can discuss anything anymore. You either have to be for or against, you know? And Jesus said something similar. You're, the one who is not for me is against me. The one who is not against me is for me. Jesus said something like that, but he's God. You know, that's, that's, that's a God issue. And, and, and all, our, all our social media discussions are not God issues. They are social issues. And social issues are... are are mucky and they're not black and white and they're gray and they're everything in between okay but the people who want to discuss social things uh they've they've pushed it all to the extremes if you're not for us you're against us yeah have you noticed that and you you can't be against one thing and not pro the opposite <laughs> and there is no middle ground anymore we have to be really careful how we approach things and how we say things so be prepared for people to speak out against you, but also be prepared to speak out. But keep your brain intact. Uh, be you, you don't want to lose your head like John the Baptist um, when you speak out. <clears throat> Sorry, that was not good. That was bad. <clears throat> Thank you for that. Uh, I, I don't know about you. Finding the right words to say is not 
I find it really difficult, you know, when someone says something to you at two o'clock in the afternoon and you get this great reply at two o'clock the next morning, you know, 12 hours later, ah, it's too late. You know. um, it's, it's really hard to get that snappy reply that will just get the, you know, get your revenge. Uh, the, the skill of saying the right words that hit hard, very, very difficult to get. I, I love Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Um, I don't admire a lot of his theology, uh, but, but I, I, we, we can't fault his willingness to speak out. There was a man who, who was willing to speak out when it was required, yeah? During apartheid, he spoke out against apartheid. After apartheid, he spoke out against the people who were running the country after apartheid. You get the idea? He was, he, everybody, everybody was his target. He wasn't afraid to, to speak truth to power. Whoever was in power, great. He had an amazing ability to, he had the courage to speak out and an amazing ability to choose the exact right words to say it. Here's one of my favorites. He said this, don't raise your voice, improve your argument. I love that. <laughs> don't raise your voice, improve your argument. If only, if only we social media could learn that lesson today. Uh, just Google Desmond Tutu quotes, there's masses of them. They're all really good. <laughs> So we're beginning this, these four weeks on discipleship. Be prepared for people to speak against you, even from a surprising direction. <laughs> uh, but be prepared to, to speak out on issues. Look, look at the issues that are in Namibia today. Uh, there, there are numberless issues on which we can speak out. Uh, we need to decide, am, am I the right person to say this or to say that? Uh, and, and if I feel the call of God to, to make a contribution to the debate, I need to, you know, prayerfully, we need to prayerfully think of carefully what words are we going to use, how are we going to say it? Um, and, 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 and guess what? When we do speak out, we're going to get shot down again, aren't we? <laughs> you know that on social media. So the two things go together. Uh, the cost of discipleship is, is sticks and stones may break up, and words will hurt us. They will hurt us. And, and sometimes we need uh, to be prepared uh, to pay the price, just like John the Baptist. <clears throat> so in conclusion, we're looking at, at discipleship. It, it may be that uh, as we're hearing God's words, and we're, we've had these wonderful songs this morning, as, as we're hearing the call to discipleship, uh, it may be that, that God is challenging us to that lifestyle that Ronaldo was talking about, that identity as, as disciples. Are, are we just going to be foolish people who build on the sand? Are we going to come to the church, come to church every week, hear the word, and walk away again? Or, or are we going to be wise men who build on the rock? We hear the words of God and we put them into practice. Are, are we actually going to live the life that we should? Are we are we actually going to live the life that God wants us to live? And, and it may be that through these weeks, we are going to, to be challenged to actually give our lives to God and, and go his way for our lives and, and not our own. Um, there may be many here who have already done that. We're, we're, we're on that track. We've, we've heard the call of God upon our lives to accept Jesus not just as our Savior, but as our Lord and Master, and, and to follow his will for our lives and not our own. Um, maybe we want to refresh that call and that response a little bit. So in conclusion, I've got this poem uh, 
one of my favorite books. It's actually by a Catholic priest, Michel Coist. Um, prayers of Life, it's called. Um, just uh, little prayers on, on uh, ordinary things of life. Uh, you know, prayer on putting out the garbage on a Wednesday night. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, um, turning everything into prayer. And there's also sections, really deep sections as well. Have you got this? Um, this is a prayer that he wrote uh, when, when we feel the call of God on our lives. Uh, it is, it's called Help Me to Say Yes. Um, thank you. I've actually put it on the overhead as well. So as I pray, choose, choose how you like. <laughs> you can either keep your eyes open and follow on the overhead uh, or, or close your eyes and, and, and pray this as a prayer. I've found this a really challenging and deep and meaningful prayer uh, to, to think about God's call upon our lives. And, and what Michel Coist is doing, he's putting himself in the place of the person who's hearing the call and struggling to respond in a positive way. So let's, let's pray. I'm afraid of saying, yes, Lord. Where will you take me? I'm afraid of drawing the longer straw. I'm afraid of signing my name to an unread agreement. I'm afraid of the yes that will lead to other yeses, and yet I'm not at peace. You pursue me, Lord. You besiege me. I seek out the noise for fear of hearing you, but in a moment of silence you slip through. I turn from the road, for I've caught sight of you, but at the end of the path you are there waiting for me. Where shall I hide? I meet you everywhere. Is it then impossible to escape you? But I'm afraid to say, yes, Lord. I'm afraid of putting my hand in yours, for you hold on to it. I'm afraid of meeting your eyes, for you can win me. I'm afraid of your demands, for you are a jealous God. I am hemmed in, yet I hide. I'm captured, yet I struggle, and I fight knowing that I'm defeated. For you are the stronger, Lord. You own the world, and you take it from me. When I stretch out my hand to catch hold of people and things, they vanish before my eyes. It's no fun, Lord. I can't keep anything for myself. The flower I pick fades in my hands. My laugh freezes on my lips. The waltz I dance leaves me restless and uneasy. Everything seems empty. Everything seems hollow. You have made a desert around me. I am hungry and thirsty, and the whole world cannot satisfy me. And yet I loved you, Lord. What have I done to you? I worked for you. I gave myself for you. O oh, great and terrible God, what more do you want? <clears throat> Here's God's reply. Uh, my child, I want more for you and for the world. Until now, you have planned your actions, but I've no need of them. You've asked for my approval. You have asked for my support. You have wanted to interest me in your work. But don't you see, my child, that you are reversing the roles? I've watched you. I've seen your goodwill. And I want more than you now. You will... <coughs> You will no longer do your own works, but the will of your Father in heaven. Say yes, my child. 
I need your yes as I needed Mary's yes to come to earth. For it is I who must do your work. It is I who must live in your family. It is I who must be in your neighborhood and not you. For it is my look that penetrates and not yours. My words that carry weight and not yours. It's my life that transforms and not yours. Give all to me. Abandon all to me. I need your yes to be united with you and to come down to earth. I need your yes to continue saving the world. O oh Lord, I'm afraid of your demands, but who can resist you? That your kingdom may come and not mine, that your will may be done and not mine. Help me to say yes. Amen. This is Rico Veka, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.